The kidney diet is confusing. For every stage of kidney disease, there are different diet changes. Add in pre-transplant and post-transplant nutrition needs, and it's no wonder why patients and caregivers get frustrated. The big foods that we do want to stay away from that could interfere with some of those post-transplant meds would be grapefruit, and we're starting to see a little bit of pomegranate um, along with like herbal teas, green teas, those things we, we want to stay away from after transplant too. So those things are a little bit different, you know, with the diet compared to pre-transplant. That's Kelly Nemec, a registered dietitian who works at the University of Chicago Transplant Center. And I'm Melissa Prest a registered dietitian and foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. As your host for this episode, I warmly welcome you to The Journey Continues, a podcast committed to promoting kidney health and organ donation through powerful stories. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I know on this, what I'm really curious about, and I think other people listening are, are curious about as well, is what is it like when someone works with a transplant dietitian, goes to see you in the office, what is that process like? In the pre-transplant phase, I do evaluate patients for transplant candidacy. So I'll, you'll come in and see me in the office. Now we do a lot of virtual visits, but usually, you know, I, I see you once, do one evaluation prior to transplant to assess, you know, the candidacy. At that visit, we usually discuss appetite, appetite changes, weight changes, any GI symptoms, physical activity level. Um, we usually assess for frailty and, and functional status by asking about like your activities of daily living and if patients are independent of doing certain activities of daily living on their own or if they're dependent on others to do these tasks. We discuss diabetes management um, if patients have diabetes. And then um, I will usually obtain a diet recall or what like a typical day of eating looks like for the patient. And then we also discuss um, what our body mass index or BMI criteria is at our institute. And then we'll calculate out what the patient's BMI is. For those patients that are at or above our BMI cutoff, then I will set some nutrition goals Um, We'll set a weight loss goal. And then I usually do follow up with those patients every three to four months just to monitor progress. And then I usually start to introduce post-transplant nutrition education, such as food safety. Um, We encourage physical activity or some type of movement prior to transplant just to help to preserve muscle mass, to help with healing after surgery. Um, And then I do usually encourage like a high protein intake pre-transplant if patients are on dialysis um, in order to help with healing from surgery. And then post-transplant, I do follow patients while you're in the hospital getting your transplant. And at that time, we do go over all the post-transplant nutrition education. And then once you're discharged from the hospital after transplant, I do follow all of our transplant patients indefinitely outpatient. So If anything, you know, nutrition related comes up um, with any of our post-transplant patients, um, I'm always available either in clinic or virtually or via email or phone, usually whatever is easiest for the patient. And I think that's really important for people to know. I know I get a lot of phone calls from patients that have had a transplant and maybe they're three months out, six months out, a year out, and they want to make sure that they're doing the right thing to preserve that organ 
And I've always encouraged them to follow back up with their transplant dietitian. Um, and I, I think a lot of people forget that that's still a resource for them, a, a provider that is there for them to see for their post-transplant needs. I get that a lot. A lot of patients do like sometimes forget that I'm here and I always am encouraging like call, email even like it doesn't even need to be a scheduled visit. Now, I know you had mentioned talking about ADLs or activities of daily living, frailty assessment, and I know not everybody knows what that means or why that's even important for someone going through a transplant. Why would we be concerned about activities of daily living or their frailty? Could you talk a little bit more about that so people can understand what those are? Activities of daily living, some major examples would be like cooking, cleaning, bathing, dressing, driving, laundry. Um, this is usually, I ask about about these types of things. And if you're independent of, of doing them or you're needing assistance or completely dependent on somebody else doing these things, um, because these are some indicators of like your functional status and or frailty. I ask a few other questions around frailty as well, such as the physical activity. I ask a little bit about exhaustion or fatigue because frailty is a hot topic in transplant and can be an indicator of, of transplant outcomes. And, um, you know, we just want to make sure everybody's healthy and whatnot to withstand transplant and, and also the post-transplant care and, and whatnot as well. No, and that makes that makes perfect sense. Because obviously, if you get this organ, we want to make sure that your surgery is successful and that surgical outcome that we want is for that that organ to last a very long time. So it's important that going into surgery, you're as healthy as you can be. That way you can recover better from surgery and, and have better outcomes with that. I know you had talked about BMI cutoffs and every center is a little bit different in what they do for individuals based on weight and BMI. I know for myself, when I'd worked in a dialysis center, I'd sometimes would have some of our patients would say that they need to work on losing some weight for their BMI in order to move forward with the process. So is there any tips that you could maybe share with listeners who have been told that they need to lose some weight for transplant that they can do? Yeah, so it is very different at each facility um, regarding BMI and, and everybody's BMI cutoff. Um, specifically at our facility, like if you do not make our BMI cutoff, um, we we do usually give patients the opportunity to be seen by myself, the dietitian, where I will work with patients on making lifestyle changes for weight loss. Um, I'll follow with them for a few months to monitor progress. Something else that we're, we're seeing at a lot of different centers now, too, which is really great, is that some centers do have specific clinics for weight loss for transplant. And this is something that we're actually in the process of developing at my institution, um, which I think is a great resource for a lot of these patients who are trying to work on weight loss for transplant. And it's, I think, a very hopeful and encouraging step. There are a lot of other resources to help with weight loss as well. If, if you're at an institution that doesn't have a clinic for weight loss for transplant, there are other dietitians to work with you on weight loss if it's not the transplant dietitian at that center. There are definitely other dietitians to work with, at least at our facility. I do keep really close tabs on and we do usually set very individualized um, like lifestyle changes and, and recommendations kind of based on what your lifestyle and eating patterns are looking like. And I set those very specific goals with my patients and then 
follow up on them moving forward and, and modify those goals or make changes down the road. Now, thinking about obviously BMI is one area that might be a challenge for someone working with the dietitian for getting ready for transplant, but are there other barriers or challenges that you've come across with those that you're working with, either when in making these diet changes or anything else in relation to the transplant diet itself? Some of the biggest challenges that that I do find with some of my patients, specifically my pre-transplant patients who are on dialysis, I, I tend to see a lot of the times, you know, they're very fatigued and very exhausted after dialysis. You don't really feel like cooking and, and whatnot after dialysis. You're tired and you're, you're exhausted. And the last thing you want to do is go home and cook a healthy meal. Um, so a lot of the times I do see, you know, eating fast food and doing takeout and foods like that on dialysis days um, just because it is quick and easy. So sometimes I feel like that fatigue and exhaustion that comes with dialysis can be a barrier sometimes to, to eating healthier foods. I do sometimes see that like following the renal diet, pre-transplant can be a challenge. It can be even more difficult to follow if patients do have diabetes um, because a lot of these you know restrictions do overlap with potassium and phosphorus and carb counting. But yeah, those are a lot of the major challenges that I do find pre-transplant and then post-transplant. A lot of the times I see a lot of challenges relating to portion sizes and and sticking to potassium intake within moderation is a big one I also see too. But I would say like portion control and eating normal sized portions and limiting snacking and things like that are major challenges I do find after transplant too. Yeah, because a lot of people post-transplant actually end up gaining weight. So part of it is to your point, the portion sizes, just I think part of it too is just that they're feeling better. There's less restrictions than for someone that's coming from dialysis. And so there's a little bit more of enjoyment back in eating. But I do know that weight gain, unwanted weight gain, can sometimes be common in individuals who have had a transplant. So is that, do you work with individuals as well for weight management post-transplant? Or is it more of just focusing on specific diet recommendations based on on what's going on with medications or labs for that post-transplant patient? Yeah. So I do follow patients post-transplant with with weight loss or with working towards weight loss as well. So I I do have a good amount of patients that I am working on um, trying to lose weight. Um, And a lot of the times it is, you know, related to a lot of the steroids after transplant because that can really increase the appetite. But also, you know, like you mentioned too, wanting to eat, you know, more foods, there's a little bit less restrictions with potassium and phosphorus. So patients are excited to eat some of those foods again. Also, yeah, a lot of the times their appetite's a lot better too after transplant, but we do definitely need to keep an eye on that weight, um, especially because having that weight gain post-transplant can, you know, definitely increase risk of complications such as, you know, graft failure and, and potential diabetes development and things like that. There's other complications, you know, with that weight gain that we definitely want to try to avoid. Yeah. And it's so important to keep that in mind, before and after, like you said, and that's one of the ways that the dietitian works with the, a patient when they're getting ready for transplant. So kind of thinking through and talking about the diet, we've been talking about that, obviously, right? This is what the episode's about. But thinking through about just the kidney diet in general, we obviously know that depending on that stage of where someone's at with kidney disease, they have different needs for what we're doing with nutrition therapy with them. So for someone in the earlier stages, we are 
not as restrictive until they get to some of the later stages. We had kind of talked about potassium was one of the ones we've talked about. Phosphorus, protein, that might change depending on where they're at. What are some things that are really important for the post-transplant diet when it comes to nutrition recommendations? Regarding the potassium and the phosphorus, typically if the kidney function is good after transplant, if the labs are looking good, the potassium and phosphorus labs are looking good, typically I recommend potassium and phosphorus consumption within moderation. Um, It doesn't need to be as strictly limited as it was if you were pre-transplant. Regarding the protein, during the healing and recovery phase after transplant, as the wound is healing, I usually recommend eating, you know, a lot of protein, prioritizing protein just to help with that wound healing. But long-term, once you're healed and recovered, I only recommend just a moderate amount of protein. And then the other big component to post-transplant nutrition is food safety. So as the immune system is rebuilding after transplant, we do really need to be careful with how we're preparing our foods and washing our foods because we do want to reduce the risk of foodborne illness. Making sure we're cooking all of our meats and fish to the appropriate temperatures, cooking eggs all the way through, like no runny yolks or over easy eggs, making sure we're washing our hands prior to preparing food, washing fresh fruits and veggies with either like lemon and water or a vinegar and water mix or using like a store-bought wash from the produce section at the grocery store. We want to make sure that there's no like cross-contamination with cutting boards or utensils. We want to look out for expiration dates, avoiding leftovers if they're in the fridge for more than four days, Um, and then avoiding buffets or temperature-sensitive foods if they've been out for more than like two hours or one hour in the sun, and thawing meats or fish in the fridge, microwave, or running them under cold water. And then we also do really need to just be careful of any food drug interactions after transplant. So the big ones that we, big foods that we do want to stay away from that could interfere with some of those post-transplant meds would be grapefruit. And we're starting to see a little bit of pomegranate too. So I usually tell patients to err on the side of caution and stay away from the pomegranate since it's newly researched. But those things can interfere with the post-transplant meds um, along with like herbal teas, green teas those things we, we want to stay away from after transplant too. So those things are a little bit different, you know, with the diet compared to pre-transplant. Yeah. And while not a food, one of the other questions a lot of patients have are about herbal supplements, vitamins. And I tend to recommend that they check with their transplant pharmacist, their provider, their dietitian to really talk through that. Because a lot of those herbal supplements are ones that are toxic, they can be toxic to the kidney, and also should be taken with caution or not taken at all with post-transplant, those medications. Is that something that comes up a lot for you in conversation with patients, talking about herbal supplements or other kind of supplements for kidney health or just things that they want to start taking again? Yeah, I do get a lot of herbal supplement questions and also a lot of herbal teas. There's a lot of different herbal teas out there that a lot of patients like to take. So I do get a mixture of both the supplements and the the teas. There's so many different herbal supplements out there now. Um, and they're so, you know, widely pushed within the media and whatnot. And it can be very confusing for patients with the labeling because a lot of the times, a lot of the advertisements and labeling for a lot of these products will say, you know, it's healthy, it's good for you. But um, what I usually explain to patients is that 
all of these products are not regulated. We don't know their effect on the kidney. Um, we really just want to, you know, protect that kidney as much as possible and, and to try to stay away from these things because we really don't know. There's not that much research on these products. So we really don't know, you know, their effect on, on the kidney. And you know, what manufacturers are required to do is they're required to ensure that the ingredients listed are accurate, but, and, you know, they are supposed to have safety with it, but realistically, we don't know. It's not regulated, like you said. So it is very difficult to know if these supplements are okay. And I think for someone that is newly transplanted with an organ, obviously you want to do everything that's at least known so that that organ can stay healthy and stay for a long time. So it's always super important to talk with your team, like Kelly, who's a dietitian on the transplant team and the rest of the transplant team before starting any type of regimen or resuming anything. So I know you talked a lot about interactions with things, um, either the grapefruit, the pomegranate, that's, that's a new one for me. I didn't know about that one and other foods, but what if someone wanted to bring someone post-surgery, like they want to do a meal train from their church or they just wanted to bring some food to someone post-surgery. Are there any tips or things that you could share that would be good? Because um, I've talked with someone recently who has told everyone else, please don't bring anything over to the house, even though there's all these people that want to bring things over. So any tips that you can share for someone who'd want to bring some food to someone post-transplant? I would say, you know, generally making sure that it's all just cooked really well, you know, especially all the meats and everything and just balanced meals. So, you know, having a vegetable, fruit, vegetables, you know, that take up about half the plate, a lean protein source, like a, a chicken breast would be okay. And then a whole grain as, as one of the sides, maybe like brown rice, having a balanced meal would be great. Um, making sure it is lower in sodium. So making sure ideally there's no added salts, um, no seasoning salts, and kind of just also staying away from more processed meats, things like that. Trying to incorporate a, a balanced, healthy plate, like like I mentioned with the fruits and veggies, lean protein and a whole grain as a side. Now in a totally separate, I have a question. Do you see donors? So if someone has a living donor that they're bringing with them to transplant. Do you also talk with and see a donor or is it just the patient themselves? Yes. Yeah, so I do evaluate um, the kidney living donors. I don't see them at the same time as I'm evaluating the kidney recipients. The donors are evaluated separately, um, but I do see all of those patients. I usually see them usually once prior to donation. And I usually will discuss at that visit following a general healthy diet after donation, limiting sodium after donation, or, you know, just within moderation, protein foods after donation should be consumed within moderation. And we also discuss at, at that visit too about herbal supplements and staying away from those products after surgery. I do see donors a little more frequently pre-transplant or pre-donation if they need to work on a little bit of weight loss prior to donating or um, we need to work on the hemoglobin A1C level a little bit prior to donation. So those patients I see a little more frequently and work with them on lifestyle changes. And then I do see all the donors when they're in the hospital at the time of donation where we go over all the nutrition information again 
Um, I give handouts and my contact info at that time as well. So I do follow any of those patients post um, donation if they have any questions that pop up too. Well, that's great. And I think that's really important because I've had donors or people wanting to donate reach out to me to see if they can improve their blood sugars because either that had come back that they can't really donate until that comes down or they had to lose some weight. And I was never sure if they were also seen or followed at the transplant center if they wanted to donate. So I think that's really great information for people that are interested in donating their organ as a living donor, that there is support for them as well within the transplant team if there are issues that come up that they need to work on in order to be eligible to donate their organ. So when we think about just in general, that not everybody's nutrition intake may be the same Are there any basic or universal recommendations for people that are either living with kidney disease, going for transplant, or they want to donate an organ? What are some, I guess, universal tips or suggestions for individuals to work towards a healthier diet, either to get them ready for surgery or, like I said, donating an organ? One of the biggest things would be, you know, limiting sodium intake staying away from salt shakers, processed foods, fast foods, takeout. And then, you know, otherwise just following a general healthy diet with very balanced meals, making, you know, half the plate vegetables with some fruits. Um, Like I mentioned before too, a quarter of the plate whole grains, a quarter of your plate lean protein and limiting red meats as much as possible. and, And yeah, limiting that sodium and fast food intake. I always try to tell patients to, to, you know, try as much as possible to stay away from like sugar sweetened beverages, like regular sodas and juices and things like that. Those would be, yeah, some general guidelines that I usually will give patients prior to donation to kind of stick to and prior to transplant, definitely sticking to these things too. And, you know, trying to limit the potassium and phosphorus as much as possible too, if that's you know what their labs are kind of indicating. Yeah, I know sodium is so sneaky. It's in so many things you wouldn't even think about, like salad dressings and bread and cereals and all these things that we, yes, we know they're in there, but we wouldn't necessarily think that this is a high sodium food. I think most people think of the salt shaker or they'll think of uh, canned foods or really popular ones, but it's, it's great to really think about all of the different sources of where we get salt from and lowering that. Cause that's usually the number one thing we start with for someone with a kidney diet is low sodium. So besides monitoring their other health conditions, but doing a low sodium is typically one of the first things that we really focus on. So I think that's a really important tip for our listeners. So I think the last thing is really, do you have a number one tip that someone can do with their diet to really help them prepare for transplant? Or what's the, maybe the most common thing that you talk about with patients getting ready for transplant? I would say, and this might not be so much, you know, diet modification, but I would say one of the biggest things would be maintaining a healthy weight. And and this could, it definitely applies, you know, to post-transplant as well. But having a healthy, healthy weight and, um, you know, being within an appropriate BMI range, you know, it will definitely help to prepare for transplant because this does help to reduce any of those post-transplant complications like wound healing, um, graft failure, development of diabetes, you know, can help definitely with the recovery process and the healing process after transplant. 
So this is, I would say, such a big thing that I work with patients on pre-transplant and especially too with the waiting time sometimes for transplant. Sometimes you're on the wait list for a few years and it could be hard to keep tabs on the wait after being on the wait list for such a long period of time. And I know it's hard to wait that long and it's, it's a long process, but trying to really keep tabs on that wait during that time period and making sure we are trying to maintain a, a healthy, balanced weight without you know too many weight fluctuations or things like that, um, I would say would be the number one thing to, to focus on. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And thank you for all of your tips and knowledge and wisdom. I know our audience will really enjoy it. So thank you. Thank you again. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.